Today I'm going to be speaking about the love of God that empowers a person unto having faith. So many times when we looked at faith, we looked at faith as a work, as something that we had to do in order to get God to do something for us or to actually activate God. And then when God beholds our faithful action and how we would go through faith in the midst of all doubt, then He would honor our belief. And in His honoring of our belief, we would, uh, or in His honoring of our belief, He would go and then manifest some blessings for us. Now I want to show to you today that faith doesn't work that way at all. And we're going to look at the love of God and um, how love works and what effect love has on us. And we're also going to go through scriptures in Matthew where Jesus spoke about who the Father really is in everyday life. And as we behold who the Father is in everyday life, we're going to find that faith rises in our hearts. Now faith is simply a persuasion based on facts that is so powerful that it has got hope as a fruit where you've got a confident expectation of good or in the case of the Bible a confident expectation of the resurrection which is actually an immortal human body or a glorified human body. Now I'm going to start off by reading from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. Galatians 5 and verse 4 reads as follows. It says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. I'm going to read that again. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And then uh, verse 5, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith that works by love. Let me just read, I want to just read verse 5 again. It says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Now let me explain those passages. When we look at the first verse there, when it talks about Christ not becoming of any effect, whosoever is justified by the law, we have fallen from grace. When it talks about falling from grace there. He's not talking about a person that has committed a sin in the sense of he told a lie or he um, had a wrong thought or did any of the fruit of the flesh where he is basically now fallen from sin because he made a mistake or he had a wrong conduct in a certain situation. We don't fall from grace because of our works. What he says here is those who fall from grace are those who seek to be justified by the law. So what causes you to fall from grace? And I want to explain what falling from grace is. To fall from grace means you are not standing, or fall from means you stand away from. You're standing away from the influence of God, wherein God brings forth the fruit of the Spirit effortlessly in your life. Grace means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life that includes gratitude. 
That grace of God is where God has come and influenced the human heart in such a powerful way that the human can believe upon God, trust God, rely upon God, that God would be the one that justifies him, that God would be the one that gives him life, that justifies him with life. Now it says here that if we want to be justified by the law, then we have fallen from grace. Now what does justification by the law mean? That means if we want to be justified with eternal life, if we want to be treated according to our righteousness, or if we want to be blessed, that's another way of saying, it's a very shallow understanding of the word blessed, but if you want to be blessed, um, and I want to just, I mean, I can't just say the word blessed because we will so fall into the traditional prosperity gospel if I say blessed. Uh, blessed with eternal life, blessed with true peace, true joy, true kindness, true long-suffering. We want to be blessed with those things, and we want to have access into those things by the works of the law. I want to tell you, you are not standing under the very influence of God that will influence you unto all those things by His doing. Uh, and the moment that happens, the moment you, you are uh, not standing under that, you're going to have the influence of works righteousness. On you, and that will result and end in the fruit of the flesh. And that is not what God wants for you. So here he comes and he clearly says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you that want to be justified by the law. That means the finished work of Jesus Christ will have no effect on you. If you're seeking to qualify yourself or to have what God promised us or to have God's quality of life, or to have anything as pertaining to God, be it love, peace, joy, whatever it is, by the works of the law. Christ will have no effect on you. So the only way when you can get the finished work of Jesus Christ not to have an effect in everyday life is by seeking justification by the law. That means I am looking at myself and I think that by my own ability, I can establish a good, righteous, holy life for myself on this earth by following a good set of rules called the law. Now, it says here you've fallen from grace. Now it goes on, and I love the word in verse 5 there which says for. It says, for we through the Spirit wait for the righteousness which is by faith. Um, Lynn, I'm going to ask you if you can bring that slide just up again. Just read verse 5 there. I want all of you to see verse 5 with your own eyes. It says there, and, um, and this, I mean, we can have a whole message just on this verse. It says, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Okay, now what is he saying there? He's saying that we, through the Spirit, wait. In other words, what does it mean, we, through the Spirit? We believing that the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, which is poured out in our hearts, which is poured out in us, whom we have, that Spirit, we have got the expectation that that Spirit will bring forth the hope of righteousness by simply reliance on who Christ is and what He has accomplished. That is all. So, when we look at this passage, we we have to conclude certain things. There's a hope that we 
still hoping for. We, we are expecting something to happen. What he's saying here is that we, through the Holy Spirit, have a confident expectation that the Holy Spirit will bring forth the fruit of the resurrection from the dead in us. The hope of righteousness here doesn't mean I've got the hope that one day I'll stand righteous before God. That's not what it means. It literally means, and and I'm going to use my own words here, it says, For we, through relying upon the Holy Spirit, we are waiting for the confidence expectation that we have based on the righteous or the equitable deed that was done by Jesus Christ that we can believe upon. So what he's actually saying here is that the true believer doesn't seek to be a partaker of eternal life by his works. He says the true believer patiently waits for the Spirit to manifest eternal life in him. And all that we do is we live by faith. We've got a persuasion about who the Father is. And we can, next verse we're going to talk about what that persuasion is and how we get that persuasion. We've got a persuasion of who the Father is and what God has accomplished in Christ. And based on that persuasion, we wait for what we can expect based on what Christ has done. Now there are many that say, well, so we must just wait and just do nothing. The weight that is talking about here is a, a, a revelation that is in the human heart that comes from seeing himself as dead to sin, seeing himself as alive unto God. What that simply means is, if you are alive unto God, it means that um, God has got an effect on your heart. That's what it means. When I look at criticism... And over years, you, be, you get to a place where criticism on public platforms basically means nothing. It, I'm not alive to it anymore. People can say things, I'm dead to it. It's got no effect on me. So when the Bible says that through Christ we have been dead to sin, we've been dead to the promptings of the flesh, what it means is that we're not alive to that anymore because the law is not all the fruit of the fl- or the flesh doesn't use the law to bring forth sin in our lives anymore. It's dying away. And we are alive unto God. Uh, you know, when we just use a, a social media again as an example. Now, I mean, I've, I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. I find a change came to my life. Maybe in some areas you might still see a little bit of it. But you find that you are not alive to criticism. But I am alive unto when somebody says a good thing about God and have a post that is really grace-based. As if I am very alive unto that. I pick it up quickly. I see it and I've got great excitement. It brings joy to me because I'm alive unto it. In the very same way, we are alive unto God. Who God is brings forth His life easily inside us. Now in verse 6, let's go on to verse 6. It says there, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything, or actually can get anything to manifest in your life, neither uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Okay, now, (laughs) the context of verse 6 is found in the previous verses. He says in verse 5 that, They wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So what he's saying is, 
We as believers, free from our works, believing that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, from where he will return and uh, the, to, to quicken, um, to make those who are alive further alive by giving them eternal life and also take those who has died and raise them from the dead and manifest the full impact of what he accomplished in his resurrection in our lives by the Holy Spirit. We believe that. So we by faith, a persuasion in our hearts that we have on account of God's love demonstrated towards us when he gave his son, that faith that is inside us it has got its manifestation. It will bring into manifestation who and what, or, or that which God has promised us. And all of that is based on how much He loves us. Okay? Verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails um, anything, neither uns nor uncircumcision. What is saying there? Obeying the law or not obeying the law is not what brings forth a change of life. Now I want to just use this quickly and help uh, some of you. Try to help. And say this, rebellion against the law. In other words, saying, I don't believe in the law. That is not what's going to bring life to you, my friend. That's not what's going to bring uh, uh, peace to you. Let's take uh, generosity, for instance. Believing in tithing and sowing and reaping is not, it, it cannot bring generosity forth in your life. Neither can saying, I don't believe in tithing and I don't believe we need to give anything to the church. Neither can that bring forth generosity in your life. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Neither uh, being part of being a Jew and following the customs of the Jew or saying, well, I am not a Jew and I'm not following the customs of a Jew. None of those things can bring forth eternal life or God's quality of life that will result into having endless life as a complete human including your body conquering all the sin and what pushes you down in your life it cannot establish that it can never bring it forth a rebellion is fueled by what is wrong 99% of the time they've been wrong and there's you mean it's like if we look in South Africa and we look at our political party that's leading the country and you find the others uh, looking at that, they, they are very quick to say what is wrong, but they've got no solution. They've got no solution. You look at most of those parties, I don't say all, but most of them, they can say that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And they can say the president must fall, but the, the thing they believe and what their party stands for, their constitution, you want to call it like that, or what they believe in, their their morals and their values is on paper exactly the same as the one that's leading the country. So what's the difference? There's no difference. It cannot avail unto anything. So a rebellion, a rebellious attitude towards the law can never set you free, my friend. Never, never, never. Neither can trying to obey the law ever bring forth the life God has intended for you. It says the only thing that can actually avail to something or have an effect in your life um, is faith which works by love or faith that has got its operation by love. Now I want to read the, the next definition 
there um, in Galatians 5. This is taken from the Apostolic Bible Polyglot. And we're going to read it, um, verse 6 there. It says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision prevails anything, nor uncircumcision, but belief, and then you'll see there the word order seems wrong. It says, through love operating. You'll see it operating, there's number one, at through and number two, and then love is number three. So what it actually says there, it says, but belief operating through love. So the only thing that can actually have an effect on your life is a belief that finds its operation in the agape of God. Now, faith that operates, and I like the word there, they didn't, uh, the apostolic Bible polyglot didn't use the word faith because it is not the word faith, it's actually belief, which means a trust or a reliance upon God based on the integrity of character that he has shown towards you. That is what that is, what that is all about. So, um, as the first part of this message, this is what I want to say. One can fall from grace. In other words, what Christ has done will not have an effect in your life if you start to live by the law. Neither will what Christ has done in your life, or what Christ has done will in effect have an effect on your life by you rebelling against the law. That will mean equally nothing. I would say the person that is at least at the point where he says, I cannot live by the law, is at a bit of a better place in this sense that I think he's closer to the point where he can actually grab a hold of the truth where Christ can bring forth fruit in his life. So does that, can a person fall from grace? Uh, ask yourself when you go under the law. Think for yourself when you were under the law before you believed the grace message. Did, you have, did Christ have an effect on your life? Did the goodness of God give birth to new things in your life? Or were you living frustrated, feeling guilty and condemned every day? Ask yourself. Yes, of course, you've experienced, many of us, I would say most of us that listen to, listen to this broadcast or will listen to it um, in the archives will testify that under the law they didn't find the peace they have under grace. Okay, so faith that works by love is what will actually avail something. So we are saying that you can fall from grace by trying to live by the law or trying not to live by the law. Trying not to live by the law, that is what we would find a lot of people, um, and I, I can't speak for everybody, we find um, new ages. The other day I listened to a man uh, that came and he, he explained how the new age system basically works and how, how, it, how in the next life, how you will be so blessed if you live good in this life and how you, by all your good works in this life, you can actually create a higher life in the life to come for yourself. That is just old law, man. That is, uh, that is old law, but that same person would be against Christianity and against a lot of things Christians say about do's and don'ts and all those kind of things. So he's against the law, and he's now rebelling against the law, yet in that rebellion against the law is no power because it is just a law in another form. You're not under the influence of that grace anymore. It's not that God is not gracious to you. We've said this way. 
if you don't fall from grace, in other words, don't do another sin, because if you do another sin, God might decide, I'm not going to be gracious to you, and I'm not going to forgive you, and I'm going to burn you in hell. That's not what it means. It simply means that when we are under the law, we are not influenced by the love of God, because the law is not of faith, but it's of works. The law is a system that doesn't, work, that doesn't talk about the faithfulness of God. It talks about your faithfulness. It talks about your commitment. It talks about your love for things. It talks about everything you must do. And the more you hear on what you must do, the less you are under the influence of God's love for you. For the gospel is the message that talks about the love of God towards man. And the more we see the love of God towards man, the more we will believe in God and the more we will have a confident expectation that we can be partakers of eternal life. Now, before I go to the second part of this message, I want to just say this. I put a post on, on the uh, social media where I asked the question, what is the gospel? If we say we preach the gospel, the question is, what is the gospel? And it's amazing to see how many different answers we have. The one person even said there are a million definitions of what the true gospel is. Now, I think there are a million ways where you can try and describe the gospel, but the gospel is very simple. This is the gospel. I'm going to give it to you in short. This is the very good news. Jesus was raised from the dead, and His resurrection promises you immortality. That is the full gospel in its fullness. That is the gospel. Some people say badly, but that is uh, half a counsel of God. That is not the full message. That is the full good news. Now we can now add to that and we can say, when you believe this, this truth will have an effect on your life. But that is still not the gospel. The gospel, the good news, if you asked Mary when she came running from the grave, if, if you asked John when he ran, what is the good news? They would have told you the good news is that Jesus is raised from the dead. And the good news of that resurrection brings us the hope of our resurrection, meaning sin and death is fallen from us. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He was raised from the dead. But if you want to know what the simple good news is, this is the gospel. Jesus was raised from the dead. That is the gospel. You cannot have it more pure than that. That is the purest form of the gospel. From that resurrection, we can come and come to many conclusions about what had to be in God in order for us to have, uh, in order for him to do that. And that's what we're going to do now in Matthew, from Matthew. I want to, um, I'm going to use Matthew 5, verse 38, and then up to 48. It's about 10 verses. And I'm going to look at the attributes of God put into everyday life. And I'm going to explain to you how, when you look at this love that God has, how it will bring forth reliance and trust in your heart towards Him, so that whatever He's promised you, you know that He can bring it forth. And what is the promise? What is the hope of a Christian? The hope of the Christian is to have uh, just justification, which means, uh, in a biblical sense, which means not to stand 
righteous before God based on the law, where the law cannot find anything fault with you, but to be justified with eternal life, to be justified with the fruit of the Spirit. When God looks at you and He sees bondage in your life, He says, it's not just that my children are suffering and I want to justify them. And you remember what we read about the justification there? He talks about the justification as he says here, he says that those who want to be justified by their own works has fallen from grace. And then he explains in verse 5 what justification is as well. He says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So we are justified by faith. That's what he means, what he's actually saying there. Defining justification as the manifestation of the hope of the equitable deed God has done in Jesus Christ. What that means is that we as Christians, as a Christian, if you want to make it, uh, if you want to bring that truth into the here and now, this is what we can say. We have, by faith, we believe that the fruit of the Spirit will manifest in us. Ending in Him, even conquering our physical death. And if we have died before it's happened, He will even raise me from the dead. That's what it means. That is the absolute good news. And you might say, Betty, but I don't know how that has got power. It's got great power. Ask God to show you that truth. And as that starts to settle in your heart, you will start to find the power of it. And I want to just share from my heart, just from the depth of my heart. I've been in the grace message since the end of 1995. So we're talking about 20 plus years here that I've been busy with the grace message. Obviously in the beginning my understanding was not as clear as what it is now, but I started out with righteousness by faith, meaning um, I disobeyed the law and God had to punish me he had to beat me because of my disobedience. I believe in a typical uh, penalty substitution message. And it made me very happy because Jesus was punished for me and I'm not expecting any punishment from God anymore. And I would read some books and I basically read two books and I'm not going to uh, quote the authors here because I don't want to start debates and arguments and, and, and hurt people. But if, if I look at my life, I, I was very happy at that. And then I started understand more I started to understand more and as the as my time uh, in Christianity's gone on I saw all the different facets or if you want to call it sects of the grace message and sect is not always a bad word it's, it's just a group a group of belief inside a certain the sects of the grace message so and I even met with a message of um, I met with a message of universalism I met with I mean, preterism, all those things. I, I, I looked at all of that. And I found, I've listened to so many messages. I've preached so many messages about how God loves me. And it blessed me greatly. But as I, when I came to understand the power of the resurrection, when I started to understand that the end goal of the gospel is eternal life, I've experienced more life and more power and more of the fruit of the Spirit than ever in my life. It's what I call absolute effortless Christianity. That is what it brings forth in us. So let us just look at, at uh, just some of the love attributes of God, if you would put Him in everyday life. And as we look at that, we will find our hearts flooded with the goodness of God. Remember, God knows in order for you to have faith, 
in, other, in order, order for you to have your mind at rest in his integrity, he's got to show you integrity. He's got to show you integrity. Amen? Right, we're going to read Matthew 5.38. This is what it says. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if the man will sue you at the law and take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. And whosoever shall compel you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks of you, and from him that borrows of you, turn not you away. Okay, let us just let me just go through those verses and explain those. So, um, when we look at verse 38 there, it says, in verse 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and then it actually goes on and it says, that if somebody smites you on the one cheek, turn the other also. So, that I believe is an action of love, because you see who the Father is. And if you read this whole passage, even the second slide we're going to look at, it says that if you do these things, then you are a son of God. Now, so many people will read it and say, let me do those things so that I can become a son of God. No. When the Bible talks about a son of God, we need to understand the, that terminology. And I've preached it many times, and I see, I love social media, Facebook and those kind of things, because you can exactly see what people believe. So many times you preach a message, and if you cannot see what they say, you, you think everybody believes what you say, and they understand what you say. But I see there are still many folks that don't understand what it means to be a son of God. A son of God in biblical terms means that you are like the Father. That whatsoever is in the Father is in you. And he comes here and he says that um, in this whole passage, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you do these things, you are in other words, if these things manifest in you, then you are just like your Heavenly Father. So we're going to look at this and we're going to see, we see here that God clearly says that if somebody smites you on the one cheek, turn the other also. Why? Because that's how He is. That's how He is. Now, we can address this from a law perspective. It's like the one guy says, well, I've been slapped once and I've been slapped twice, but the Bible never says anything about a third time. And when that guy for a third time sinned against me, then I beat him up or I had to do what I... <laughs> you know, that is just absolutely... <laughs> that's not what it's trying to say. It's because you approach that from a law perspective. This passage does not try to tell you what you need to do. This passage is trying to tell you who God is. And you need to know that God doesn't do those things based on the law. He doesn't do that because he must. He didn't write the law in heaven and say, well, if somebody hits me on the one cheek, I'll have to turn the other one. No. When we saw Jesus being beaten on the cross, when he was hit on the one side of the, of the face and the other side and the other side and the other side, when his back was torn open that it looked like a plowed field, why did he not hit back? Why? Because of the revelation that's in his heart of the value of the person that's beating him. That's why. That is why. And the revelation and the beauty that Jesus even saw in the man that was nailing him to the cross, because listen to what Jesus prayed when he was nailed to the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What he's saying is, is 
the, and, and we want to say that the, God only, only forgives them because they do not, do not what, don't know what they do. And kind of justify, justifying the forgiveness by that man's works. Because if he knew what he was doing, then the Father would not forgive him. The way I see that passage when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do when the fa- Jesus was beaten, all of that, is I see Jesus saying, Father, these people are so bound in blindness. They are so in darkness that they've got no clue on what they're actually doing. And I'm asking you, Father, please set them free. Because I see them dying. I see them being destroyed. That he said, while he was being destroyed. Come on, church. <laughs> Look at the love that God is showing there. Now, as I say this, and you feel the emotion of love in your heart, and you feel, wow, that is a loving God. You're starting to experience the foundation of faith. You're starting to experience um, belief, a reliance. You're starting to see the integrity of God. And the integrity of God is now starting to have an impact on your life. That is how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've said it sometimes and I want to say it many times. If I say to you, um, faith comes by the word of God, please never think of this black book. This is not, this, this book is called, there it's written, I don't know if the camera can see that, the Holy Bible. This is called the Bible. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the message that this Bible tried to convey for thousands of years. Jesus is that Word. And here we see the message that God brings when they were nailing Jesus to the cross, when they were slapping him on the one side of the face, slapping him on the side, not just slapping, pulling out his beard. I mean, I can remember, I tried to pull out one of my beards, I think the first gray one I saw, and uh, do you know how painful that is? It's painful. Now they pulled out his beard, big pieces of beard, coming off with skin. That's what they were doing to him. And what did he do? He turned the other cheek. Why? Because he is faithful because of his faithfulness to continue to see man for who they really are. And here Jesus comes, he says, these people are so valuable, I put my own words, they are so valuable, they are so beautiful, they are so wonderful. I see that what they do, they are so blind, they don't even know what they're busy with. Father, please set them free. Let us not look at that incident where Jesus said, Forgive them for they know not what they do as saying. If you don't know what you do, then God, uh, God will, um, it's okay with God. But if you know what you're doing, I mean, let's use an example of Peter. Let Peter know what he was doing when he went and lied about Jesus. Of course he knew what he was doing. Did Jesus set him free from that misery and pain and rejection? Of course. Jesus even said to Peter, and, and he spoke to Peter, and the Holy Spirit came upon Peter. And the first mass group of people that received the gospel was through the, through the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter. That is, and, and Jesus never said, you're not good enough to be my disciple. You're not good enough to be my apostle because you rejected me three times, you know, or denied me three times. He never said that. 
because of the integrity that Jesus has. So faith comes by that love. Faith comes by looking at the message of love in the Bible. And as we look at the message of love, which is Jesus, we find a change of life uh, come to us. Um, next verse, they spoke about being sued. Imagine somebody sues you for something. He says, listen, man. And the context here would be wrongfully. Wrongfully sue you. Just give him more. Now, we know how difficult that is for us. Now, if you go and obey that by a law perspective, I'm going to tell you, you've fallen from grace. If you take this passage, and you, when somebody sues you, and you say, the Bible says, I must give him another, another thing when he, he you know, uh, just sues me, because the Bible says, you've fallen from grace, my friend. You're not standing under the influence of God. You are now under the influence of your own power to fulfill that verse. Because that verse is trying to tell you who God is. Because it says, He who wants to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. This is, if you must take His perfection and put it into everyday life, it is a life where you can actually see a person that is so taken up with the value of someone that he says, I don't care what he does. I can even give him more. doesn't matter what he does. I want to be good to him. Do you see what God is saying? doesn't matter what man has done. He wants to be good to man. They nail him to the cross. Then he says, Father, help them. He's hanging there in the midst of all of our sin, becoming where he became all our sin, and the full manifestation of sin and death is upon him, and he prays for people. He's good to people. And while they are nailing him, mocking him, while many of the Jews, his own Jewish people rejected him and pushed the Messiah away. What does he do? He takes away their sin and dies away their sin and was raised up with a brand new life that he offers them freely. Isn't that beautiful? Now faith works by love. Faith has got its operation and its operation talks about what it will uh, uh, the, the belief comes from and works by how God loves you. And love in your life manifests based on the love that God has for you. And as your heart is persuaded of His integrity, wherein He promises you eternal life and the fruit of Spirit to bring it forth in your life, it all, all of that starts with how much God, not just how much, I don't want to say how much God loves you, because you can say He loved me a lot. It's not how much He loves you, it is what His love is that influences us. Amen. Um, if somebody forces you to walk one mile, walk another one, you can just see that for yourself. And it says if somebody borrows something from you, don't expect it back. Now you know when somebody borrows something from you and you go there and you say, well, you borrowed something, I must have this back and what you already know that you are going to just make things sour. And the guy's going to feel humiliated. Look at God. If you would borrow something from God, He's not going to say, well, it's just right that you give it back. He's not going to do that. That's not who He is. Right, let us read the next slide. Um, it's going to be Matthew 5, verse 43. Love your enemies. This is what it says. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, so that you may become the sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, 
and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. My goodness, isn't that so powerful? <laughs> just there, right there, it says there, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Right there. Isn't that beautiful? If we just look at, 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 at what we think about God so many times, then we miss it. Look at the love of the Father. As you would go through these passages, and you would, even after this message, read through them again, and visualize and see and ask the Holy Spirit to show you the love of the Father and how He treats His enemies, how He blessed those that curse Him, how He is good to those that hate Him. Remember, I'm not saying that you must do all these things. I'm saying if you want to become a son of God, in other words, if you want to become a person that is equal with God in His equity of character, these are all the things that you must do. This is what must show in your life. And then I want to tell you, if it shows in your life because you're trying to do this, it also means nothing, because God doesn't do these things because He must. He does this because of the foundation of revelation that is inside Him of who you are. I want to bring it back to family logic. I've used this many times. If, if your child's lost, are, are you losing your integrity towards that child because he's lost? If your child's kidnapped, do you lose your integrity towards that child because he's kidnapped? Never. You keep your integrity. Why? Because he is your child and you love him. And if your child does wrong things towards you, if your child loses his temper towards you, or any of those kind of things, are you now cutting him out as a child? Never. You're showing your faithfulness towards him. You're showing him love towards him. Because in all those years, as you've shown your faithfulness and your love, and it's consequent towards that child, even if he doesn't listen to you while he's in the house or any of those things, later on in life, he will reflect back to those things and he will see that and will bring a reliance upon, uh, uh, into his heart on what you've told him and it will bless him. I just feel this prophetically is a word for some people there. Your child, you think that your child is messing up, you think that your child is going through a very difficult time and uh, you know you, you wish he would do this, things this way, that way and so forth. I want, to show, I want to tell you, as life goes on, those things that you told him, that love that you've showed him in the house, that, that integrity of character that you showed him, how you've always cared for him, as his life's go going on and as he sees his own thing doesn't work, he will be reminded of that. And he will say, well, when I'm having my own children now and I'm seeing how um, difficult it can be sometimes in raising children and um, how expensive it is and how, how much commitment it takes, and I see what my parents went through for me, and they lovingly did it without a, gr a, a, a grudge, with joy. When, when they think back of that, it will bring them home. I just feel that's a word for somebody right there. It will bring them home. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. The seed that's sown in the heart is enough. Amen? Now, the very same thing here with the love of God. He says here, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them and curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you. He says, so that you might, might, might become the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the just and the unjust. For if you love those that love you, what reward have you? Don't, you even, don't even the tax collectors do the same? You see that this passage comes and it declares actions like that as love. Now, faith works by love. 
And here we see what love is. We see love, and we've spoken past two sessions about it. Love is how God cares for his enemies. Love is how God gives rain to the sinner. How he gives rain to the sinner on his farm so that the sinner can be blessed. The unjust. Amen? It says, and if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than, than others? Do not even the tax collectors do that? But if you want to be perfect, as your, uh, uh, therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, in conclusion, this is what the Bible says. Faith works by love. Faith cannot work if there is no love. Neither can faith and true faith in God also has the manifestation of love. We study that in the Greek when it says faith operates by love. It actually talks about two things. It talks about faith is there because of love and true faith that's based on true love will manifest what it believes in. It will just start to manifest in your life because that is what the passage also says. We, through faith, hope for uh, we've got the hope of our righteousness. The hope that there is because of our righteousness or the hope of the equitable, equitable deed of Jesus. We expect that how? By simply relying upon the Father. So if you, it's so important. Faith doesn't come by me just giving you promise of the promise of the promise. Or you cannot open the Bible and just read the promise and say, well, I claim that promise and now you've got faith in claiming the promise. You don't have to claim promises. God comes and He declares to you what He has promised you in the resurrection. And then He says, through His faithfulness in how He's given His Son, in His faithfulness where we can see that He has never confused man with what He's done. When the Romans were nailing Him to the cross, when they were beating Him up, when His disciples, uh, in many instances, didn't even trust Him, when His own people, the Jewish people, rejected Jesus and said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. When, he said, when they shouted those things, Jesus never um, lost his integrity towards man. He continued to love man. He continued to show kindness. He continued to show goodness. He continued to show who he really is. And bec why? Because he sees who people really are. Are. That is what it is all about. He sees who people are and he showed his faithfulness. He showed his love. When we beat him, he didn't beat us back. When we cursed him, or not we, I mean many of us never did it, but when man cursed him, he didn't curse back. When we stole from him, he gives more. Many say if you steal from God, then God's going to put a curse on you. That's a lie. That is an absolute outright lie. If you steal from him, he'll give you more. That is who he is. He's always been like that. And as you read that all the time, you know what will happen? Faith will rise, upon, will rise in your heart. And the correct Greek word there is actually belief. Belief will rise, rise in your heart. Trust, a reliance upon him will rise upon your heart to the point that you enter a rest. And as you rest to the point that you're saying, he is so faithful, he is so good, he's got so much integrity towards man, um, that when they, they wanted to call fire, the sons of thunder wanted to call fire upon people because they didn't want Jesus to walk through their city, Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you are of. I have not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. 
didn't come to destroy man's lives, but he came to save them. From what? From what is destroying man? And he shows his faithfulness continually towards man. As we see this, as we hear the word of God, as we see this faith rising, uh, uh, this love of God, what happens? It brings faith in our hearts and we rest. And we rest from all our works. We rest from all our law. And as we are influenced by this love, we stand under grace. And he will influence us unto the fruit of the Spirit as well as eternal life in our bodies. Glory to God. And preserve us, spirit, soul, and body, perfectly forever. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? So, I end off with this, just this short uh, instruction, if you want to call it that way. Whenever you listen to any message, whenever you read the Bible, whenever you think about God, think about God in this way and say to God, God, show me your goodness. Because you know, if you open this Bible, I can just start to read right there and I'll find out of 15 verses, I can quickly show you eight of them that doesn't sound that good news. If you just take it on face value. Ask God and say to him, Lord, show me. Show me. And I want you to do it right there where you are. Ask the Lord, say, Lord, show me how you love me. Show me how you will always turn the other cheek because of, not because of obeying a passage or obeying a command of the Father, but simply looking at our value and having integrity towards who we are. Redeeming us from what destroys us. Ask Him to show you that. And He will show you that all the time. Amen. And you will find how your faith rises. And as your faith becomes strong, you've got a, a great persuasion in your heart. You will see how the Lord manifests the fruit of the Spirit in your life effortlessly. Glory to God. Amen. Let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful service and this message that can really help people. Thank you, Lord, that you touch every person where they are right now. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for goodness that comes to them. You know, I just see... Um, uh, uh, I see people's hearts, like a crowd of people, and I just see their hearts. Um, and I see how a cross, that cross, like a, a silver cross, planted in the hearts of so many thousands of people all the time. And I always believe the Lord says the message of redemption, the true message of redemption is coming to people all over the world, and nothing can stop it. Thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I want to thank you so much that you've watched this broadcast, and uh, I trust that you're going to be deeply blessed as you continue to listen to good news messages and just have the power of God flood you by Him showing His love towards you.